This hour is sponsored by Sim Trainer. The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WHIO and Cox Media Group. I'm Storm Center 7 meteorologist Kirsty Zantini. We're watching the radar right now. If weather breaks, we break in immediately. You're on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. And I'm Dayton's consumer warrior, Clark Howard. You're listening to an Ask the Expert Weekend. Good afternoon and welcome to this pre-recorded edition of Shooting from the Hip, brought to you by Sim Trainer, the Dayton area's first indoor range and firearms training center. My name is Mark Avery. I'll be your host for today. If you're new to our show, you can find more about Sim Trainer and Shooting from the Hip on our website at sim-trainer.com. That's S-I-M-trainer.com. You can also stop by the range at 2031 Dryden Road in Moraine, right across from the DPNL Maintenance Yard. You can call the range at area code 937-293-3914, and somebody will be there, uh, at least right now, to take your call and answer your questions. If where you happen to call when the range is closed, feel free to leave a message and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. You can also contact us through our website at sim-trainer.com. Click on the contact link and send us an email. And again, we will get back to you as soon as we can. Before we get into the meat of the show, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that we're just about two weeks away from the election. And so I will have some comments about that and some things that you might be wanting to look out for. I'll do that at the end of the show. Right now, let's go back to the interview with Jeff and Ashley. They were discussing how the perception of firearms has changed over the years. You mentioned earlier being involved in, in researching guns and, and, and involvement in with guns in society in the 60s and 70s to modern day. What kinds of parallels or dichotomies did you see between the 50s, 60s, and 70s in modern day perception of the gun? And- uh, oh, the perception of the gun is fascinating because it really changed in the early 20th century, actually. Um, but... Like the way we talked about guns, especially with mass migration into cities, that was a big right. um, that was a big thing. Um, and this is actually something that I talk about in the article because I'm looking at um, where partisan politics became so separated with the gun. Because you know, I I, I talk about a, a lot, one of the sections is liberalism and guns, and when did Democrats and li- you know liberalism predates you know Democrats, um, and when did you know Democrats you know switch over. Um, in their belief system on guns, because obviously during the Civil War, they were very pro-gun. Um, after the Civil War, they were very pro-gun for, you know, white people and not poor people, <laughs> because they passed many laws trying to keep guns out of, you know, the hands of black people as well as poor rural whites, which also gets left out of that conversation a lot. Um, but they were still pro-gun, you know, and so when did that switch over? And the big, like, beginning of that shift is the post-World War II period, um, because you see a lot of academics, um, in academics, when I say academics, they're typically left-leaning. Um, a lot of academics start writing about gun culture because we do know that that time period was, you know, when you look at, like, the how, you know, violence has kind of declined, yeah. you know, since that time period. It is, it is a violent time period. And so you start getting academics starting to change their tune on the way that they research guns for the first time, which, you know, while people oftentimes, you know, brush off academia, academia trickles down into public education. Sure. You know, they write the histories that then the public educators read that then they tell to 
their students or in the museum world and that kind of thing. So there's really that. And then I, I mentioned armed feminism and armed leftist activism during that time. You get a divide um, in the fact that, you know, you get armed feminists, but at the same time, there's also a group of feminists that say, hey, 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 no, we want nothing to do with guns. Right. And that's the group that survives. Um, although there are still some armed feminists. I know one up in Montana from that time period. Um, and, you know, so you see that, the, you know, there are there is armed leftist activism, but there's a complete split. There's also, the, you know, people that want peace and don't want the guns and that kind of thing. So there's a divide there. Um, and then uh, my personal belief, and I'm still researching it, so I may, I'm a personal belief, I professional belief, I guess I said I don't like to talk about my personal yeah. beliefs, but professional belief, sorry, um, is that really this stark divide in firearms and partisan politics is the, within the past 20 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so the example I used is that Steve Sinetti, who used to be the CEO of National Shooting Sports Foundation, has attended for the past 20 years the Congressional Sportsman's Caucus annual shooting match. Right. And when it started 20 years ago, it was 50-50 Democrat and Republican. And since then, it is now, um, it may be completely Republican. There may still be yeah. a handful of Democrats that go, um, you know, so just watching that shift tells me that this partisan nature, I think it's with everything, not yes, just guns. Yes, it's not but, just guns. You know, but you're right, the post-World War II play, period yeah. plays a really important role in that, and then I think this kind of stark has been the past 20 yeah. years. Well, and I, I have to tell my listening audience, the, the museum and you and some of the things that you set up, the displays, they do a great job of depicting the evolution of gun along with the evolution of American society and American culture. And you mentioned... Uh, the transformation from uh, rural to uh, urban centers, that was a big issue because you yeah. had people that lived in areas where there weren't a whole lot of people now being clustered with people who were, you know, they were right around them and some had bad intentions mm -hmm. and guns became a necessity. Well, and it was also, there's a lot of, like, it's, it's fascinating how the early 20th century really lays the groundwork for, like, current conversations about guns. Absolutely. Um, the Sarah Winchester story about her being crazy and, haunted by ghosts, you know, killed by Winchester rifles. That was a story made up during her lifetime. Uh, so it shows you how people are talking about guns differently by the 20th century. Um, the assassination of President McKinley is also very um, important yes. um, because there's a lot of talk about anarchy um, at that point. And the media, you know, is talking about it. You know, we always talk about leading up to the National Firearms Act of 1934. Um, you know, oh, it was, you know, the, the Thompson and these machine guns were used by bad people. Well, yes, they were. But if you look at the, you know, number of Thompsons made and the number of criminals that use them versus the military application of it, you know, it's it's much more of a romanticized kind of image of the use of. And the media was portraying it back then. Um, you know, it was like, you know, oh, the gangsters, yeah. you know. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting because they passed the law because some bad guys are using the guns. But when you actually look at the entirety of the history of the Thompson, that's a very, very small number of right. bad guys that are using guns compared to, you know, the guns that were going off to war, uh, the guns that were randomly protecting the U.S. Postal Service, which yeah. always gets me. Yeah. Uh, that's why. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the misinformation, which yeah. our listeners, they know about because we talk about it a yeah. lot, they see it. It's pretty obvious when you look at fact versus particularly media portrayals. It's happened in modern day. You look at the number of uh, um, AR-style weapons that are currently in circulation, the number's anywhere between 15 and 20 million, and over the course of the Mass shootings, if you just take the mass shootings, they've been used in less than a dozen. Yeah. And yet they're portrayed as these terrible things that none of us that enjoy um, shooting them for sport, for, for hunting, for whatever the case might be, it just gets totally... Well, and the yes. interesting thing about, you know, the AR platform or other like platforms that fall under the modern, modern sporting rifle, um, you know, kind of 
category. Um, it, the interesting thing about that is that all of the features that you find on that have been around for at least a hundred years. Um, you know, pistol grips, for example, you know, you had pistol grips on early flintlock pistols that you would then add a stock to for cavalry usage to make it a carbine. And then you've got a pistol grip, you know, the concepts are not new. You know, the biggest change is the color and material, you know, in terms of, you know, intermediate cartridges have been around for a really long time as well. And so it's just fascinating because it's the way it looks, I feel like it is, you know, so drastically different um, from what we're used to that we forget that all of the components of it, you know, including semi-automatic technology, which was invented in the 1880s, you know, yeah. have been around for a really long time. Yeah. I have a blunderbuss upstairs in the gallery that I think was 16 or 1700s. It's got a folding stock. Interesting. <laughs> you know, well, it's interesting. You know, you talked earlier about the Firearms Control Act of 1934. Then there were additional acts in 68 and then 80, 86. Uh, uh, 86, um, uh, Do you think those are more driven by public opinion than real research based on the, the actual reasoning behind the, 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 the restrictions? Um. You know, that's hard because I actually haven't studied like the the culmination of the individual laws, just kind of the outcomes of the laws. So I I'm not even gonna answer it because okay. I don't wanna speculate sure. and not be correct because sure. that's not fair to you guys and that's not fair to whoever passed the laws and stuff. But I mean I, I, I deal more with outcome of the you know, the effect sure. of it. And I look at, you know, the usages of it, but I haven't had time, you know. <laughs> Go figure. To really look at the the build up to those, like specifically, um, I know like my husband knows a lot about it, but I, I really want to do the research for myself to sure. have my own opinion. But have you done any study or research or um, have an opinion on? We talk about organizations that are gun advocacy organizations, like the NRA, like the United States Concealed Carry Associations, the bar the various um, legal organizations around the country. What's kind of your opinion <laughs> about their evolution, their purpose? Um, Pro benefits, disadvantages. Whatever yeah. The case um, may be. So, uh, interestingly, um, I read something the other day when I was researching for this article with Re Recoil for Partisan Politics um, from a from a scholar that's you know he's a Second Amendment scholar. His name's Saul Cornell. He is not pro Second Amendment in, in, at, at all. But um, what's interesting in his perspective on this um, was, and I, I would tend to you know agree with him. On this is that um, the the first real case that heard whether or not the Second Amendment was an individual or militia right, which ruled that it was an individual right, um, and it was either Arkansas or Kansas. I can't remember if there was an AR in front of the Kansas or not <laughs> in the on my on my research, but um, and it was in 1822, and it was a response against uh, a gun control. Um, that was passed. It was a ban. There was a ban on, I think, handguns or something that was passed. And so, as a response against gun control, was gun activism. <laughs> you know, and so that, I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, I haven't looked like. You know, obviously there were militia groups. You know, uh, you know during the revolution and, and and post, and that was very important. And so you could probably call that gun activism as well. Um, but when you start to see, you know, true pushback on, you know, with activists, you really start to see it when they start actually trying to regulate. Um, you know, average people. Um, unfortunately, um, and if you follow Mastery with his, you know, all gun control is racist and things, you know, unfortunately in early America, you know, we're not great about, you know, we don't care if it's gun control against not us, you know, yeah. um, but as soon as it affects us, man, we're that's, angry, right? That's right. <laughs> and, um, but, but it was, there was a big push for gun activism after, you know, during that case and after that case. Um, so it's been around uh, basically yeah. as soon as, you know, I mean, you could also potentially argue that the 
first case of gun activism was when they tried to put a, a tax on gunpowder for, yeah. you know, prior to the revolution. Yeah. And people were like, hell no. no. You know, that, that's probably a pretty good example right, of gun right. activism. Um, but I thought it was an interesting statement that he made was that, you know, the first gun control, you know, true gun, you know, big, you know, overt across the board gun control actually pushed for, you know, a real activist response um, to it immediately. And I thought that was interesting that it's been around that long. Well, you know, another thing um, recently, as a result of COVID, um, there's many, many, many more people buying firearms, many of them who, from my own accounts, when I talk to people, they would a year ago never would have thought they were anti-gun. They never thought they would ever own a gun. Now they've changed their mind. And that number is probably in the millions now as a result of what happened in early 2020 and a lot of factors. Um, the, the disease, the um, police departments uh, restricting their ability to respond to certain types of um, uh, offenses. Um, uh, then you've got the, the chaos that's going on in the cities and the people's general um, feeling of helplessness or hopelessness and need, realizing that they got to take care of themselves. Is that something that really has existed, in your opinion, all along and is now just being exacerbated by the fact that we got these things going on, or do you think it's a new phenomenon? So, you know, if I go back to graduate school with academic historians, they are they absolutely abhor the phrase "history repeats itself." They uh, they hate it. Historians hate that expression, um, and and the reason. Let me give the like you know, ivory tower version of it, because I do understand where they're coming from, which is the fact that um, history doesn't repeat itself because it's, it's all the circumstances are always different. Um, we can track, you know, similar changes. Um, you know, we had, you know, riots and violence in the 60s and 70s. You know, we had riots and violence in the 1920s. Um, you know, we had violence um, on mass against Native Americans. Um, you know, so... Yes and no, um, because if I'm taking my academic historical, you know, opinion, you know, because situations are always different, there's always, you know, different understandings, different belief systems, different technologies, different, you know, governments, different everything. Like, theoretically, they're right. Gun, you know, guns. Uh, history can't repeat itself because everything is always different. Sure. Um, however, we do track trends. And, um, and, and there has always been... Um, you know, violence, you know, in our, you know, in our country that, you know, bubbles up from time to time, any country, it's not just the United States. Um, I remember watching, I think it was Fox News um, early on, someone from Black Lives Matter um, talking about, and it made me really think because um, he, you know, he said something to the extent of like, well, you know, because the, the Fox News anchor said, oh, well, you know, why do you need violence to, you know, get your point across? And he was like, well, we've always used violence to make our point across, you know, as an American. And, I, and, I, and it did give me a moment of like, not that I, you know, support any of the stuff that's going on right now, but it was just one of those comments that you go, well, I guess you're right. We did kind of revolt up against it. We need to take our first break for this recorded hour shooting from the hip right there. We come back to more of Jeff and Ashley Levinsky in the interview that Jeff did out at the Cody Firearms Museum. This is Mark Avery for shooting from the hip on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to this pre-recorded version of Shooting from the Hip. Let's go back to Jeff's interview with Ashley Levinsky, where she was talking about violence in America and how it has shaped our history. 
but it is interesting because we do get these moments of, of violence throughout our history. And so to some extent, you know, it's stuff we've seen before. Certainly when you think about the, you know, during the 60s and 70s, I mean, with Vietnam and the civil rights movement and everything, you certainly get, you know, pockets of violence. Um, you know, and then also really radical activist groups um, that are inciting violence. And so certainly there is um you know some connectivity to that uh, but you know it'll it, it's hard to say when you're as a historian it's hard to say in the moment yeah. if it's this you know if it's the same until you're out of it right. you know it's too present you know i don't want to like throw you know present what we call it presentist when we're being snooty which is that i am i take present ideas and impact you know, i put them on the past it's a really bad thing to do. Um, it's, everybody does that, um, but it's it, you try to kind of separate it. So it's hard to say. But yeah, I mean, you would see. I mean, you definitely have seen pockets of violence. I mean, and that was um, it popped up a while ago with the Tulsa race riot, riots, and everybody was talking about the Tulsa race, race riots, um, which was the bombing of Black Wall Street, which is really tragic. We actually talk about it upstairs in the museum. Right. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we've always had these moments that just kind of bubble up, and so my only hope is. You know, we can figure out whatever that means. Yeah, you know, that's where I, yeah. I step out and the politicians get to step in because right, I'm right. like, I can right. only talk about what's happening. But, yeah. you know, whatever needs to happen, hopefully, you know, it, it happens and we get back to well, settling down as a country. I'm going to break right there because there's not going to be time before the news at the bottom of the hour for the next segment of the interview. I do want to talk about a couple other things, though. First, we have a new class available. We've had just a few sessions of this class already. It's an excellent class. It's called Riot Survival. To get the most out of this class, you should have taken your concealed carry class at Sim Trainer, or you need to have taken our Defensive Force Decisions class. Either one of those will give you the legal foundation that you need to be uh, comfortable in the class on Riot Survival. If you've not had either of those, there may be some things that will generate some questions that there won't be time to answer in that class. So if, if you have been in one of our other two classes and you'd like to take this class, there will be a session offered on October 24th. That's next weekend from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's a four-hour class. You can register online on our website at sim-trainer.com and then contact the range to confirm and make payment. That class... Uh, has been filling up quite quickly. There's a lot of people who have been interested in it. So if you're interested in that class, then uh, go out to our website and sign up for it. There's a lot of people who have been wanting to also get our basic handgun class and concealed carry, perhaps as part of the training pass. The next available classes are in the middle of November. You can sign up for those now by going to our website, uh, click on the calendar and click on the basic handgun class and the concealed carry class for the 16th of November and then the 18th and 19th of November, if uh, those are the classes that you would like to take. Also, if you want to take advantage of the training pass, which gives you both of those classes, plus a three-month membership to the range and the use of the firearm for the concealed carry class that you selected during the basic handgun class, when you contact the range, let them know that you also want to get the training pass to use that to pay for both of those classes Get your registrations confirmed and then have those ready to go in the middle of November. As I mentioned, all the classes are full out until the middle of November. So if we have some time in our schedule and all these classes fill up, we usually will add additional classes. Of course, we have Thanksgiving coming up. And so that will, that will block out some of the time that we might otherwise use for classes. But watch our calendar on the website. You can also sign up for our email list 
When you go to our homepage, there'll be a little pop-up for that. Or you can go out and sign up for the email list for the general email for the uh, range. It is a very typical list server. It's easy to get off anytime you've had too much, although it's only going to be a couple of times a week at the most. It's not something that we're going to fill your inbox with messages many times a day. So that's a great way to find out about new classes that are offered. We will announce them usually first on the website and also at the same time on our email list to let people know when new classes are available. Let's take a break and go out into the news. When we come back, we'll pick up with Jeff's interview with Ashley Lubinsky from the Cody Firearms Museum. With this pre-recorded edition of Shooting from the Hip, this is Mark Avery on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. W-H-I-O. This is WHIO's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, this is Rush Limbaugh. This is my home in the Miami Valley. Dayton is our number one priority. You know that. And as news breaks, we'll break in anytime. 1290, 95.7 WHIO. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to the show. This is Mark Avery for this pre-recorded version of Shooting from the Hip. If this is new to you, if you've never been one of our listeners before, I invite you to go out to our website at sim-trainer.com slash radio. You can find out more about the show. Uh, the entire website has the information about the range, how you can contact us uh, at the range, which is 2031 Dryden Road, or on the phone at 937-293-3914, or you can use the contact link on our website at sim-trainer.com. Send us an email and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. We have been playing an interview that Jeff did with Ashley Lubinsky, who is the curator emerita from the Cody Firearms Museum. She uh, oversaw a complete redesign of the museum that reopened back in July of 2019, right before everything closed down for COVID-19. But he was able to get a chance to see her. She was there for a couple of days, and he happened to be there at the same time, so did this great interview. We just have a few more minutes of it left, but let's get back to Jeff Pedro and Ashley Lubinsky from the Cody Firearms Museum. I wanted to uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about um, uh, one one of the displays you have up on on upstairs is uh, um, uh, designs, engravings, markings, mm-hmm. and prior to the pandemic, all through 2019 into early through 2020, um, the industry. I'm, I think it's safe to say we were kind of fat and happy. We had everything we wanted, we had almost everything we needed, and now many of us were looking at. Glitz and glitter, that's what I call it, you know, the, the, the things that I did. And I have a Cerakoting and things like that. Um, you call that glitz and glitter? Yeah, glitz and glitter. Like I had, and I'll show you, I have a tiger gun. I took an AR and I have, oh, it, yeah. I have it Cerakoting. Do you call it Joe Exotic? It, it's just my, my tiger gun. <laughs> yeah, and I, it's, just, just, it's what I like. But, um, and I noticed in the in, um, displays upstairs, uh, that's not new. The engravings, nope. uh, in the 1800s, people were engraving scenes of the wilderness in the sides of uh, yeah. the, the actions on, on lever-action rifles. And That is actually, you know, as old as time, um, the personalization of objects. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether it's hand engraving or, you know, you see it on swords, you see it on knives, yeah. you see it pre-firearms. Um, but, I mean, most guns, unless they were being made for, you know, use on the battlefield 
were very beautiful. Like if you've seen like the Catherine the Great blunderbuss that she gave to King Louis XV of France, I mean, that is a gorgeously embellished silver wire inlaid piece, you know, and that's centuries ago. And so a lot of guns, actually the norm for a civilian arm uh, or a presentation arm as like a sign of a peace treaty or something between a country, um, you know, the norm was to be embellished. Um, and it's actually when we start mass producing things and now everything looks the same when people go, oh, I miss that. Yeah. And so then custom shops pop up with Winchester and Smith and & Wesson and yeah, Colt. Absolutely. And then there's the iconic engravers, you know, who you have to guess a lot of time because they weren't really supposed to sign their name, but they did sign their name yeah. um, a lot of the time. And so we actually have a reaction backwards um, after we, you know, we get progression of mass manufacture and, you know, interchangeable parts and all that stuff. And then people really want to personalize. So then they, you know, start personalizing their stuff. And then that gets more and more expensive. And you get the high-end British, you know, companies that have been around, like, like Purdy, who makes, I think, like, 200 guns a year, that's it. And they've been around since the 1800s, you know, because their cars are, or their cars, their guns are as expensive as cars. There it is. <laughs> well, you know, um, famous figures throughout time have had the, the grips on their guns uh, engraved, and some of them had the grave. I saw um, El, El Chapo had uh, two gold 1911s when they captured him. Uh, those were confiscated. They had engravings all over. So Saddam Hussein collected Colt Diamondbacks. I'll be darned. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're saying, so the engravings has been going on all along. It's an individual, kind of an individual identity that oh, people yeah. want to well, say. Well, you especially, you know, when you, you said El, El Chapo, but like you get cartel guns and you get guns in the Middle East, uh, yeah. like Saudi guns. Um, so I, I was just talking about this for gun stories. Um, we had on display from the Smithsonian for a while, a Saudi licensed G3. And I, I thought it was gorgeous. It had this gorgeous wood carvings on it and gold, you know, like highlights to it. And when we were at, when I was at the Smithsonian, we had a soldier come in who had been in the, you know, Saudi Arabia and he goes, ha, that's an outside gun because all the G3s inside were just entirely plated in yeah. gold. Um, you know, so it's also, you know, the country. Um, and it actually impacts um, museum, the museum profession because like in America, we believe in keeping the artifact um, in the configuration that it came in the building. So we don't polish it. We don't do any of that. We just try to keep it from deteriorating. But when you go to the Middle East and museum professions, when you go to certain countries um, in Europe, they believe in polishing and having everything look as shiny and new as it was. And yeah. so it's, yeah. it's kind of all personal preference. But yeah, we've been doing it forever. It waxes and wanes in popularity, but I think it's, I mean, it, the personalization certainly come back with Saracote sure. and different things. It doesn't look quite like what it used to. Yeah. Right? But then you also have Doug Turnbull, um, who does, you know, restoration work, the, you know, the color case hardening work. And so there are people that still like the traditional, you know, engraved look. Right. And there are people that still buy Krigoffs. And there's a lot of people that still buy Krigoffs, you know, and their stuff's engraved traditionally. Yeah. So it's cool. Well, this has been probably the most factual and animated interview I've ever done. <laughs> and I wanted you to just um, tell the audience, and again, these are people mostly recreational shooters, a lot of self-defense people, people who are interested in guns, people who just like the topic. Why should they visit the Cody Museum? Cody Gun Museum. Because uh, there's lots of guns there. Uh, you should visit the Cody Museum, one, because Wyoming is beautiful, and we're right by Yellowstone. And, I mean, this is the the largest display of firearms to the public in the country. So, um, so uh, NRA's close, but we're, we're just a little bit, we have a little bit more on display because we've got the more space. Yeah. Um, and so you definitely should come here because we've got four firearm simulators. If you're a pro shooter watching it, we do actually now do a Hall of Fame rotation 
um, to highlight and celebrate the shooting sports, which is often forgotten in our culture. So come see Wyoming. Come see us. I might not be in the state, but my new, the new curator, Danny, is equally as cool, um, but not as pretty. And I'm going to take a minute just to give a plug to a former... Um, He's former, not my employee. I can say that. A, a for, yeah, a former uh, an employee here who now runs... Uh, a gun range locally where you can shoot many of the guns that are on display here. And yesterday, mm -hmm. for example, I got to shoot a Gatlin gun, a, uh, a 1795 flintlock, and a uh, um, 1800s uh, revolver. And, and Doug shot a full automatic P90 along with the Gatlin gun, and uh, it was just a lot of fun, but um, kind of the double experience was wonderful. Um, the owner of that facility, I understand, oh, had some had uh, affiliation here. He, he was our he director here. of operations for the entire center, and originally um, I was the project director of the renovation. He was my project manager for the first couple yeah. of years, and then he left to go build a shooting range, which is cool. And two people that I have to say that in uh, um, the 30 or 40 years I've been affiliated no one knows more about guns than you two that I've come in contact with. But again, <laughs> well, thank you. Ashley, I want to thank you for this interview. It's going to be great for our listening audience to hear awesome. the things you say, and hopefully they'll be encouraged to come out here. Yeah. Thanks again. Thanks so much. All right. I think you'll agree that it has been great. Uh, Jeff had a whole lot of fun out there doing that and a lot of other things as well. So if you haven't been to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash simtrainer, uh, I encourage you to go out there. This interview, uh, both parts of it, are on that. Uh, he did it as Facebook Live, so those videos are still out there. He also has several other videos that he posted as he was roaming throughout the West and seeing some of the landmarks out there. So if you'd like to go to that page, you can catch up a little bit of what happened as Jeff and his friends went out West uh, on a road trip to visit many of these great uh, American Western heritage uh, areas. The Cody Firearms Museum is part of the Buffalo Bills Center of the West. There are five museums in all under one roof. You pay admission to one, you get access to all five. Uh, if you would like to find out more about them, go to centerofthewest.org. That's centerofthewest, all one word, dot O-R-G. And you can find out about each of the five museums that are out there, the Buffalo Bill Museum, the Plains Indian Museum, the Whitney Western Art Museum, Draper Natural History Museum, and then, of course, the New Cody Firearms Museum, where Ashley was the curator at the time and oversaw the complete renovation and redesign of the entire museum. If you are looking for a place to go, perhaps next summer, it's a great destination, not far from Yellowstone Park. So that would another be another thing that you could do while you were out there. I would encourage you to, again, go out to their website at centerofthewest.org to find out more about the museum and plan your visit. Let's take a turn back now to where we are today, about two weeks from uh, the national elections. If you haven't already done so, I would encourage you to go out to the Buckeye Firearms Association website at buckeyefirearms.org roll over the action menu and click on the voter guide link. That will take you to the Ohio Pro-Gun Voter Guide. Uh, it has a lot of information. It's obviously too late for registration. It will tell you where you can vote if you're not sure where your voting, your balloting place is. The where to vote link will take you to the Ohio uh, Secretary of State's website where you can look up your voting place. It will also tell you by county where the Board of Elections is. If you want to go vote in person before Election Day, you'll be able to do that. Uh, you could also request an absentee ballot, but it may be a little bit late for that right now. 
in addition to the links to the Secretary of State website with general voter information. You'll also find right below that the General Election 2020 Voter Information Guide. Now, this is information that's put together by the Buckeye Firearms Association. They have rated many of the candidates. It's not everyone. There are, are obviously a lot of local candidates that have not been addressed. But all of the candidates that have ratings on here have been sent surveys. Many of them, if they are an incumbent, have based on their history, their voting history and the things that they've supported. It also includes a list of which of the candidates have been endorsed by the Buckeye Firearms Association. Now, I would not take that as the end all and be all for your voting information by no means. In fact, if you're a single issue voter, I would encourage you to expand your horizons and look at many issues. Look at, do the research, find out what's important to you, and then look to see where the candidates stand on those issues. There's an awful lot of information that gets out there. Many, Much of it comes from the candidates themselves as part of political campaign ads. Some of it comes from their opponents also as campaign ads. I take all that with a grain of salt, personally. I don't think that campaign ads are your best source for information in determining who you should vote for. It's a source. It's a source you can't really ignore if you watch any television or listen to the radio this time of the season something I have often called the campaign silly season. But it's important that you get as much information as you can before you vote. Now, maybe you've already voted, and that's fine. Uh, your decisions have was, was made before the election, and there may be information that comes out. I'm personally someone who prefers to vote on election day because I want to get as much information as I possibly can. And there are things that sometimes come out very late in the campaign cycle. I, I don't think that's wise for... If there's information that is available that it, for it to be held and then not released until the last minute, just as a, a last minute zinger, I think maybe there'll be less of that as more and more early voting happens. But the point is, if you have the most information that you can have about all of the issues that are important to you and use that to inform your vote, that's by far the best and most educated, the most informed way that you can go to the ballot box and fulfill your responsibility as a, as a citizen to in, make sure that the right people are representing you at the state, local, as well as national levels. I'd like to go back now to a story that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the passing of House Bill 614, where the concealed carry licenses for the state of Ohio have been extended if they would expire between uh, March of this year when everything went blew up with COVID-19. And they have now been extended to the end of June of 2021. So if your license would have expired any time in that window, it will now remain valid until 2021. And if your license would expire within 90 days of that, it will be extended out 90 days uh, from the end of the expiration uh, after 2021. So whichever is later, 90 days after the expiration or uh, June of 2021, then uh, that will be when your license expires. If you want to renew your license or if you are looking to get a new concealed handgun license, some of the sheriff's offices are rather booked up. A lot of them are requiring that you get an appointment, and some of those appointments are booked well into next year. 
The Greene County Sheriff, on the other hand, uh, has put out a news release that says they will accept applications between 8.30 and 3 p.m. Monday through Friday from applications from any county. If you're a Greene County resident, then on Friday, it's reserved for you. So only Greene County residents can go on Friday, also from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Go out to the Greene County Sheriff's Office and get more information about that. The uh, And I would also recommend that you carefully read through the procedures that they have, the form of payment required, and so forth. It's time for the last break in this pre-recorded edition of Shooting from the Hip. I'm your host, Mark Avery, on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley Radio Station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to this pre-recorded edition of Shooting from the Hip. My name is Mark Avery. We just have a few minutes left. So let's uh, take on something a little different. Uh, We've talked about this before, but we now have statistics from the first three full quarters of National Instant Check System background checks. And as is not really a surprise to anybody who's been paying attention, it's a new record. But it's not just a new record for the first three months of the year. It's a new record for the total number of NICS checks for any year That's over 9 million NICS checks. Now, to be clearly understanding what these numbers mean, some of those are for checks for getting concealed handgun licenses. And as we've seen in Ohio, there's been a large number for each application, whether it be for a new license or renewal, the sheriff will run a national instant check system. They go out to the FBI NICS system and run the check to make sure that the applicant is still eligible to possess a firearm. And so all of those checks also get counted. In Ohio, you don't have to have a NICS check in order to purchase a firearm if you have a current concealed handgun license. And by current, I mean it was renewed or issued sometime since March 23rd of 2015. So there are a a possibility of a few people who don't have that now, but almost all the licenses out there that are still valid, you can go to a firearms dealer in the state of Ohio, purchase a firearm, and depending on and depending on that dealer's procedures, complete your 4473 and purchase the firearm without having to go through the NICS system. So any of those firearms purchases would not show up in the NICS statistics. So although we have record numbers of background checks having been run, the other thing that we know is that doesn't count everyone that's purchased a firearm. I think that's probably a good thing in a lot of ways because people are recognizing that it's time to do something that they may have just kind of taken for granted for many years as their ability to do that. If you're looking closely at the candidates' positions on firearms, and again, we have put on our website the Biden plan to end gun violence, which is a euphemism for more gun control. Uh, If you haven't read that, I encourage you to go out there and read that. It's important piece of information, even though it's not the the last answer to whether or not uh, he's the right candidate for you. But we have a lot of guns that have been purchased. And at Sim Trainer, we've seen huge numbers of people coming in to get beginning training, in, uh, the, in the basic handgun class, as well as concealed carry training. 
And also we've restarted our advanced handgun training. So if that's something that you're interested in, if you have new, newly purchased a firearm and would like to get training, go to our website at sim-trainer.com. Unfortunately, there aren't a lot of classes with openings between now and the end of the year, but there are some. And the more of those classes that fill, the more likely it would be that we add an additional class. So go out to our website at sim-trainer.com, take a look at the class offerings, and take a look at the other activities too. Maybe there's something else that uh, we offer that you'd be interested in. But it's really important if you're one of those new firearms purchasers that you make sure that you really know the proper way to handle your firearm. Don't trust everything. You're going to learn about firearms to downloading YouTube videos. I will tell you that there's a lot of stuff out there that's great information, and there's a lot more stuff that's not. So Come to us. If we need to schedule a private lesson, we can do that as well. Go to our website at sim-trainer.com or call the range at area code 937-293-3914 and we'll do our best to get you the training that you need. Well, that's all the time I have for this week. Don't forget that in two weeks, again, is election day. If you haven't yet voted, please continue to do all the research you possibly can do to make that an informed vote. This is Mark Avery for Shooting from the Hip on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. WHIO Dayton, WHIO FM, Pleasant Hill, a Cox Media Group station. Powered by Back to Business IT. Take care of your business. We'll take care of your IT.